0: Well, it's good to be home. Amen. For those of you who came to Hopewell after Brother Barry got here, uh, I stay, we stayed a little while, but in 03, God moved us to Elba, Alabama. Probably the best move we ever made, honestly, for the family. Uh, but it's still good to come home. Amen. And uh, I think about Hopewell often. Last year, we were at Southside Baptist Church, And uh, my experience there reminded me an awful lot of my experience here. And uh, I hated to leave there just as much as I hated to leave here. But when God calls, you go. That's all there is to it. It is awfully good to see you. If I've not had a chance to speak to you yet, I want to. Lindy is here. Jackson is here. But they are in the back. And so, y'all be sure to see them at lunch and hug on them. Well, y'all did make it. It's good to see you. Uh, wasn't sure Lori and Ben were going to make it, but y'all did show up. A little too fast, but we're here. <laughs> well, the altar will be here afterwards <laughs> if you need to confess anything. It, uh, uh, since y'all are here, Uh, Last year for Lindy's and my anniversary, we decided we wanted to do something different. Well, Lindy, because of her job, she had to transport a foster child from here to Tuscaloosa. And I suggested, well, why don't we just, I'll go with you and we'll just spend the weekend there. It's our anniversary weekend, we'll get away. She said, okay, I'll check with Lori and see if we can stay in their apartment." Lori and Ben are huge Alabama fans. There was not a wall, there was not a piece of furniture that did not have Alabama on it somewhere. And uh, those of you who know me, that was tough. (laughs) I had a hard time even going to sleep that night because we had an Alabama blanket. On the bed, but uh, thank y'all a lot for that. that. That meant a lot to us to be able to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Let me tell you a little something about you, Pastor. When the, when the search committee was talking to Brother Barry and invited him here to do a trial sermon, one of the people on the search committee contacted me and said, could you be here that day? And as it worked out, I had not committed anything and I said, sure, I'll be glad to. And I said, is there a particular reason? Yes, (laughs) there is a particular reason. The picture on his resume is a copy of a copy of a copy. And it may have even been faxed at one time. And it's really dark. And should it happen that Brother Barry is darker skinned than the rest of us, you need to be here to mitigate everything. And I said, okay. And I got real excited because God was gonna call a brother I hope well. And when you walked out that morning, I was honestly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously God was in that because you have been here a long time. A long time. Uh, I will tell you, I invited Brother Barry to come fishing in our pond in Elba one time. I don't believe you've been back. <laughs> and... Uh, The fish in my pond are a little hard to catch anyway. And I left Barry to it, I had other things to do. I'm in the house, I'm looking outside and I see Barry out of his boat and he's in the water, (laughs) holding on to the side of the boat. And I said, this is too good, I gotta find out what's going on. So I walk around the pond and I said, hey Barry, (laughs) what you doing? He said, I lost my glasses. And I'm trying to find them with my feet, and it's killing me because all this stuff in, the, in this debris on the bottom of the pond, and those fish have been harder to catch since you've given them glasses and they can see now. <laughs> but uh, I did notice he has some purple in his tie this morning. He used to have a purple suit. Do you still have that? Praise God. (laughs) He'd always wear it the Sunday following a big LSU football game when they won. And now that his baseball team is back on top of the NCAA, so that doesn't bode well for the rest of us. (laughs) Exodus chapter 33. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand this morning as we read beginning in verse one and we'll read down uh, through verse three. Reading from the New King James, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff necked people. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. God, I thank you for the worship time this morning. And Father, I, God, I sincerely pray it was pleasing to your ears. Uh, God, give us ears to hear this morning, hearts to receive and a willingness to obey. Draw us into a closer relationship with you. And Father, may we not miss what you have for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I know it's homecoming, and I know there's a bunch of food in the fellowship hall, and it's going to be good, but we're not going to get there yet. I, I did a homecoming for John McMath uh, last year, I believe it was. It may have been two years ago now. Time Since I've retired from my job, time doesn't mean as much to me as it used to. But they, did, they wanted to have their homecoming in their fellowship hall because it's bigger. I've never done that. In the back of the fellowship hall were the tables with all the food. I'm standing on a platform on the other end but the aroma <laughs> was filling the place. And I told John afterward, I have never preached in the kitchen before. <laughs> And I don't want to do it again. Because every once in a while, somebody get a whiff of something, they (laughs) turn around and smell. So I'm glad we're separated this morning. And as soon as God tells me we're through, we'll quit. But between now and then, I want you to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. He's got something to say to us this morning. And I want you to listen. In chapter 33 of Exodus, God tells his people, it is now time for you to go occupy the promised land. It has been promised for generations. They have spent over 400 years in Egypt in bondage, and it was promised to them before they ever went into bondage. And so, for decades, centuries, they've been dreaming of being able to occupy the promised land. We know that land to have been Canaan. But they were longing for that opportunity to go occupy, take it, everything that it possessed. We know that the fruit there was just in abundance. It was a marvelous land. And it was everything they had always dreamed of. No more slavery, no more making bricks. We're gonna get to worship in freedom. We can have our lives like we like it, like God intended. We can worship the way God intended. This is gonna be terrific. And God, as if it needed to be any sweeter than it was, God says, I'll send in an angel before you and I'll drive out all of those ites. You know who those ites were? That was the enemy. And God was saying to them, I will send in my angel ahead of you and I will drive out all of the enemy. Wouldn't you like to move to a place where God said, I will send in an angel ahead of you and there will be no enemy when you get there? Can you imagine a place where we don't have to worry about locking our doors? Can you imagine a place when you don't have to hold the hand of your child everywhere you go. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a place where you didn't have to worry about kidnappings or murder or any of those things? Because there'd be no enemy. Man, that would be incredible. Man, if we could just have a church like that where there'd be no enemy. Daddy used to say, son, if it sounds too good to be true, there's probably a catch. There's a catch. And it's in verse three where God says, go on in, but I'm not gonna go with you. The first time I read this text, I said, that can't be right. God surely didn't tell them that, that they could have the promised land, but he was not gonna go. I read it again. That's what it says. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. Why would he tell them that? In chapter 32 of Exodus, Moses is on the mountain receiving the 10 commandments. Do you remember what was happening below while he was on the mountain? it began to sound like there was war in the camp. There was a lot of noise, a lot of celebration. There was something going on, a disturbance. And the people had convinced Aaron to build a golden calf for them to worship. Now he's on the mountain meeting with God to receive the 10 Commandments. These are the same people who God used Moses to deliver them from bondage in Egypt, led them out. Okay, they went through the 10 plagues to get Pharaoh to turn them loose. They've seen all of that. They get to the Red Sea and they murmur against Moses, we'd have been better off dying in Egypt than coming out here. And God told Moses, take your staff and hold it out across the water. And he did and the water parted. Anybody ever seen that? I hadn't. I don't know how you make water stand up, but God did it. And they crossed, and not only was the water pushed back, they walked across as if it was dry ground, the scripture says. There was no mud. And as soon as Pharaoh's army entered in behind them after they had crossed, God moved his hands and the water came back and destroyed. Now they have seen all of that. And the minute Moses gets out of their sight, they build a golden calf. Are you kidding me? Sounds a lot like us, don't it? Oh, me. I know COVID was bad and it was real and one of the best things that happened out of COVID is almost every church became much more aware of being socially active on the internet almost everybody almost every church that I'm aware of there are a few exceptions either got on Facebook Live or YouTube or something to get the word out But one of the worst things that happened during COVID is we started getting on the internet and folks got used to sitting at home and we don't meet together like we used to. It's been a while since I've been in this pulpit, but the numbers are down. Where is everybody? And before you go pointing fingers at anybody else, God knew you were gonna be here today and God gave me this message for you. Not for them, for you. God said, I'm not gonna go. What would we do if God showed up and said, you can have life as you always dreamed it could be for your family, for your school, for your community, for your church, but you won't have my presence. What would we do? What would we do? I had an English teacher in the tenth grade. Her name was Miss Martin, and she told us never read the end of the book till it's time to read the end of the book. But I want you to skip ahead. I wanna, I wanna see what happens. We're, we've read through verse three. Turn, turn down to verse fourteen. and that he is a capital H, so that's God. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he, that's little h, so that's Moses. Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. So something has happened between verse three and verse 14 and we're gonna go back and fill in those gaps. God says, okay, I will go. And then Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up up from here why? For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Do you understand what Moses is saying? Moses is saying to God, if you're not going, there's no point in us going. Because the only thing that separates us from anybody else on the planet is your presence. And that's it. And folks, from that day to this, that truth, that dynamic has never changed. The only thing that separates us from anybody is the presence of God. It's not that we meet on Sunday mornings. Just wait a few weeks. There's gonna be hunting clubs meeting on Sunday mornings. It's not that we sing certain songs when we gather. There are social clubs when they gather sing certain songs, and quite honestly, some of those are hymns. So it's not that, and it's not that we have a special building that we meet in. It's not about the building. It's about the presence of God, and without the presence of God, listen to me, we're nothing. Nothing. Yet we go through the motions Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, month after month, year after year, and we get in such a rut, such a routine that we absolutely neglect the presence of God. And we've missed out on the most important thing. There is nothing more important than the presence of God. Nothing. Those of you who have been saved in this fellowship, it wasn't this fellowship that saved you. It was the presence of God that drew you unto him. It was his presence. Those of you who have been released from bondage, from addiction or whatever else, that was the presence of God that did that. Those of you whose marriages have been saved, it was because of the presence of God. The only thing that can change us is the presence of God. And folks, listen, we're not gonna change this country at the ballot box. We're not gonna vote our way out of this. It doesn't happen that way. In fact, in Chronicles, God says, if my people, that's us, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The problem in America is not who's in the White House or who's in Congress. The problem in America is the church, has quit being the church. And we no longer hunger and thirst for the presence of God. We've got to have it, folks. There's no other way. We could stay here all day and talk about all the issues that Israel had and they had a bunch of issues and they made mistake after mistake after mistake. Even before they finally got to enter Canaan, they sent in a committee of 12 to check it out. The committee came back And 10 of them said, oh, yes, there's a lot of fruit, but they got giants over there. They're too big. We can't fight them. And the other two guys said, yeah, but God said he'll go with us. He'll run them out. All we got to do is step on the land. No, the people voted, let's go with the 10. And so for 40 more years, they wandered in the wilderness until that generation passed away except two, Joshua and Caleb, the two who voted to go. This day Israel gets it right. Let's go back and fill fill in the gaps. Look at verse four. And it's twelve o'clock. I gotta put this in my other pocket, Barry. If I can get it out of this pocket. Y'all not gonna eat at twelve. Look at verse 4. And when the people heard this bad news, what bad news? That God's presence wasn't going to go with them. God wasn't going to go. It says the first thing they did when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. I'm going to date myself a little bit because I'm older than a lot of you in here. There used to be an anti litter campaign on the TV. Years ago, in the 70s. And it showed litter strewn across the highways. And there was a Native American they showed a close-up of right at the end of that ad and a tear rolling down his cheek. That's not what mourned means here. It doesn't mean shed a tear. What it literally means is they wept convulsively Have you ever seen anybody experiencing grief to the point that their whole body is shaking with grief? That's the word picture here. They are mourning, they're weeping to the point that their bodies are convulsing. Why? Because they know what it means for God's presence not to go. Yet we come Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, month after month, We never experience the presence of God and we don't even stop and ask why, much less weep or mourn. It doesn't bother us if we come to church and really don't experience anything. Well, it ought to. It ought to bother us to the core because the only reason we're here is because of his presence. Listen, the only thing that's gonna make heaven heaven is God's presence is there. It's not the pearly gates or the streets of gold or the trees that bloom every month and all that kind of... That ain't what it is. That's where God's at. And forever we'll get to enjoy his presence. Well, folks, we can enjoy his presence here. And we need to be. They mourned. I know this probably has never happened to you, but years ago, just after I'd been called to preach... In 1986, there was a church at the south end of our county at the time that was without a pastor. They had called a new pastor, but it was gonna be two weeks before he got there. One of the people in that church worked with me, and he had heard me talk about surrendering to the call to preach, and so they invited me to fill in those two weeks. And so I went, and I got up that first Sunday morning, and buddy, I was letting the hammer down, and I was looking at the people, and they were not getting it. I mean, we were not communicating at all. It was like the words were coming out of my mouth and just falling to the floor. You ever experienced that? Just kind of, it's piling up right there. No move to the altar. Came back that Sunday night is the same way. Saturday night before the second Sunday, I'm in the back bedroom of our trailer, and I'm on my face. And I'm weeping before God because I don't sense his presence. And I don't remember everything that I said, but I remember vividly saying, God, you don't even have to talk to me. Just let me feel your arms. Hug me. Let me know that you're there. You know, sometimes when our kids are hurting, they don't really want us to say anything. They just want to be held. That's what I wanted, just to be held. And I would love to tell you that God reached down from heaven and peeled off the roof of that trailer and a bright light shone down, a thunderous voice. It didn't happen that way. I got up off that floor pretty much like I got down, except there was a wet spot. Got up Sunday morning. It was just like the previous Sunday. And I thought, man, if this is what it's going to be like to preach, I might need to reevaluate this situation. Came back Sunday night, same thing. Close of the service, the chairman of deacons came forward. He was the one that had called and invited me. He came up to me and he shook my hand and we prayed a minute and he said, can I say something to the church? And I said, yes, I did not say what I thought. I haven't communicated. Maybe you can reach them because I have just missed it. Somehow I have just absolutely missed it. And what he said was, we're going to have a fellowship tonight for Richard and Lindy. They don't know this, but we're going to go ask them to stand in the doorway to the fellowship hall. And as we go in, I want y'all to greet them and say thank you for these two Sundays. Now, folks, I've been preaching a long time now. That was in '86." That was the first and last time anybody ever gave us a social for supply preaching. We just don't do that. We've done it for revivals, homecomings, those kinds, but not for supply. Come on now. You have to understand how I was raised. I was raised in a family, we didn't talk about our emotions. I was in college before I ever heard Daddy say the words, I love you, son. I remember where I was, standing when he told me. It was such a shock. I knew he did, but we just didn't talk about it. I married into a family that was real touchy-feely, always up in your business, (laughs) wanting to hug on you and all that kind of stuff, and I was not that, nope, nope, nope. So when we got to the fellowship hall, I put Lindy first. (laughs) This was a strategic move on my part. Let her get all the hugs if there's any hugs and when they leave her, I'm extending the long right arm of fellowship and I'm gonna shake their hands. So we started and they're coming through and sure enough, Lindy gets a lot of hugs. They come to me. I stick out the right hand of fellowship and they take that right hand And then they move into my space. (laughs) And they take that left hand and put it around my shoulders. Every one of them. Adults, children, teenagers, didn't matter. They all did the same thing. And about halfway through, the Holy Spirit whispered, you wanted to feel my arms. Here they are. Now, folks, that still gives me goosebumps because God did that just for me. There's nothing like the presence of God. Nothing, nothing like it. Years go by. Been preaching a while, have pastored. We're living in Jasper. I get invited to a men's retreat at Chaco Springs. And one of the guys on that committee went to church with me, the planning committee for that retreat, and he said, by the way, just in case we have somebody not show up, why don't you get a sermon ready? And I just kind of half-heartedly said, okay. But I prayed about it, and God gave me one. So I'm registering for that retreat, and Joe walks up to me, and he says, did you bring one? I said, bring what? A sermon. And I said, yeah, I got one in my Bible. He said, good, you're on at nine o'clock in the morning well okay so I'm rooming with a guy named Ronnie Ronnie and I get to the room and we're talking about it and I'm nervous he's nervous for me the whole nine yards and in that discussion I said man it would really be cool if just before I got up to speak we'd sing victory in Jesus that would just be really awesome Well, they had a guy from Mississippi leading the music. And he got up and he led us in a hymn or two and then he sang a special. And he turns off his equipment and he starts down the steps and he's about halfway down and he stops. And he says, I'm not through. And he walks back up. He turns the equipment back on and he said, God just told me we're supposed to sing Victory in Jesus. There wasn't but two guys in that auditorium of 600 men that knew what that meant. Folks, there's nothing like the presence of God. Nothing. And if we don't experience the presence of God when we gather together or we're in our quiet time or whatever's going on, we need to stop and find out why. I believe one of the reasons they mourned they realized it wasn't God's doing, it was their doing. The reason God wasn't gonna go was because of the sin in their life. They had to deal with that unconfessed sin in order for God to say, okay. And the first step was brokenness before him. And so they break. In the modern church in America, we have a lot of brilliance, but we don't have a lot of brokenness. We need to see our altars full of broken hearts. We need to see brokenness because we need the presence of God. The second thing they did, the Bible says, They removed their ornaments. Look at verse six. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. When I hear the word ornament, I'm like you. I think of a Christmas tree. And if it was left up to me, Lindy would leave the Christmas decorations up all year long. I love the colors of Christmas. And we always have an argument. She never puts them up early enough and she takes them down way too early. Am I telling the truth? Lori knows. But that's what I think of. But that's not what this means. Ornaments were those things the people would wear on special occasions for their feasts, for their celebrations under the Lord. And oftentimes, now keep in mind, they've been in bondage for 400 years. They don't have property the most valuable possessions they have are those things that were called their ornaments. Ladies, it would be like your jewelry, the special jewelry, not the one that you wear for just almost any occasion, but you know, at real special occasion. Guys, it's the same thing. That special watch that maybe your granddad gave you, passed down, and you only bring it out of the drawer on a very special occasion. They took those off. They did not put them on because they weren't festive. They didn't want any recognition upon themselves. They wanted God to get all the recognition. Folks, it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's about God. And we get our feelings hurt when we show up at church and oh, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so never spoke to me this morning. Well, bless your heart. Did you speak to them? Hello? Hello? Quit wearing your emotions on your sleeves and do business with God. Quit focusing on yourself. It, it even bothers, and I know why we do it, but it bothers me when we're gonna have a revival or something and we'll put some a man's name out on the sign. Because it's really not about the man. And I know why we do it because it's somebody God's been using. And if folks recognize the name, they tie some things that God has done through him. I get all that. But we can also take our eyes off of God and just focus on the man if we're not careful. It's not about us, folks. And so taking off of the ornaments also spoke to humility. They're broken and now they're humble before God. It's not about us. Folks, we can't do anything apart from Christ. Nothing is what the Bible says apart from Christ. And you know what nothing means in the Greek? Nothing. It means we can't do anything without him. Oh, we think we can. And folks, quite honestly, we've done church long enough. We can go through the motions of church without the presence of God. It happens a lot. A lot. But you know what we get out of that? Nothing. Nothing. No lives are changed. Nobody's being baptized. Nobody's being saved. Nothing's happening except we showed up. We can put our mark on the tote board. Well, whoop-dee-doo. Who cares about that? I got a feeling that God's not going to look at church's tote boards when we get to heaven. He ain't going to be concerned about that. He's going to ask what you did with Jesus. And how you lived your life according to what Jesus taught. They wept. They removed their ornaments. In brokenness and humility. Turn to verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. This is the the tabernacle of meeting. This is the tent. This is the tent that Moses would go into and the pillar of cloud would descend and be there at the opening of the tent. And Moses would go in that tent and he'd speak to God face to face. And it eventually got to the point where Moses had to put a veil over his face because his face was shining with the glory of God and people could not look upon him. So he'd have to wear a veil. This is that tent. But don't miss the reason that the people were there were not to hear from Moses, they were here seeking God. When you come to Hopewell Baptist Church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, I hope to goodness you're not coming because Barry Wilkinson's in the pulpit. Now, I love Brother Barry to death. And there's, I've been listening to you some on Sunday mornings. I want to talk to you about one of them at lunch because God spoke to my heart about that. You've got a wonderful pastor. You do, and he preaches the word And you need to hear what the word has to say. But folks, it's not about Barry. I hope you're coming seeking God. I hope you didn't come today because of the good food we're gonna have or the good fellowship. I hope you've come seeking God. What does God have for me today specifically? What does he want me to do? You'll find him when you search for him with all of your heart. And it's not like playing hide and seek like we did when we were children because he's standing in the wide open. Come to me, all oh, you who are heavy burdened, Now I'll give you rest. He wants to put his arms around us, but we've got to come to him to do that. They sought God. There's nothing more important than seeking God. Do y'all remember when Moses died? Who was next in line to lead the people? Do you remember who it was? It was Joshua, the son of Nun. I want you to look. Look at verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he, Moses, would return to the camp but his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. That tells me all I need to know about why Joshua was selected to replace Moses. Moses would leave the tent and go back to the camp Joshua wanted to be where God was because there's nothing more important than the presence of God. And it's Joshua that led them in to Canaan. And it was Joshua that saw victory after victory after victory in Canaan because of the presence of God. Folks, I don't know what God wants to do at Hopewell Baptist Church I had a sense of what I thought he wanted to do when I was here as interim. And because of my connection with Barry, I've had a somewhat of a sense of what he's wanted to do since Barry's been here. But I promise you, what God wants would blow your socks off. Y'all haven't even begun to dream big enough for what God wants to do at Hopewell. What God wants to do in your heart, in your life, in the life of your family. And the only way he'll do it is through his spirit, through his power. And if you're not experiencing the presence of God in your daily life, you might need to weep. You might need to fall in humility and brokenness and set your heart on just seeking after nothing but him. Because at the end of days, when our time on this earth is over, and listen, I'm a lot closer to it than I've ever been. In fact, I'm two years away from my daddy's age when he died. I'm getting close. But nothing's going to matter about how much money I had, how many, how many possessions I had, how many vacations I took. That's not going to matter. It's not even going to matter about how many times I came to church, really. It's going to matter about, did I walk with Christ? Did I dwell in his presence? That's the same for you. In just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. The altar is open. So if you want to come up beside Lori while she confesses her sin of speeding <laughs> and do business with God, that's what it's here for. If you need somebody to pray with you, Barry will be here, I'll be here. Either one of us would love to pray with you. Folks, this is serious. And the older I get, the more serious it gets. Folks, we have lost sight of how awesome our God really is. They sang, How Great Thou Art. That's more than just a song, that's truth. Our God is great. He is great. And he sent Jesus to die for my sin and for your sin. And through that shed blood, you and I can have a relationship with God the Father. And he wants that with you more than anything else. He wants that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We bless you. God, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to reunite and fellowship and worship. But God, if that's the only reason we came, then we missed what your purpose was. Your purpose here today was to touch our hearts. To draw us back into a closer relationship with you. Father, it's so easy to get caught in a rut. It's so easy, as Barry's been preaching, to get stuck. Father, I pray, Lord, we remember what the most important thing is, and that's being in your presence, dwelling there, walking with you, talking with you, allowing you to work in our lives. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know what God has spoken to your heart, but whatever it is, you need to respond to it. You don't necessarily have to come to the altar. I always found for me it worked better. It helped quicken it within my spirit if I made a move instead of staying in my comfort zone. But you do what you need to do. We'll take as much time as we need. The food's going to wait. It's not going to spoil. We'll take as much time as we need to do business with God. If he's dealing with your heart, seek Him out go to Him in brokenness humility ask Him to place within your heart an unbridled passion to know Him and He'll grant that I promise He'll grant that Father in these moments may Your will be done perfectly in each of our lives Draw us unto yourself. For it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's quietly and reverently stand together.